Hello and welcome to Church at the Bridge. We are so excited that you decided to check out our weekly sermon podcast. Today is week three of our current series, This Changes Everything. And the title for today's message is The Secret Place. We hope you enjoy today's word. Amen. How you doing this morning? Come on, give it up. Isn't God good? Gotta slap somebody a high five. Tell them God's been good to me. Slap somebody else a high five. God's been good to me. Now, I just saw what some of you did. You slapped the same person a high five because you came with them. Go ahead and give somebody else a high five. Tell them God's been good. I am so glad that you guys are here. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Pastor Jose. I'm the lead pastor here at Church at the Bridge, and we welcome you. Give it up for yourselves. You guys are awesome. Hey, today we have the privilege to consider the Word of God, and I want to just kind of frame today by, by, by encouraging you to consider this, that there's truth in God's word that brings change. Now, I don't know about you, but we all need a little change, right? Some of us, we don't, we don't want to change, right? Not interested in change. Just let me stay right here in my little island, someday I'll, right? And you'll never get off that island, right? But the truth is this, we've been in a series the last couple of weeks entitled, This Changes Everything. And the Word of God is chock full of truth that produces change in our lives if we would just embrace the truth. I'm not asking you to believe anything I'm telling you. Please. I'm not that special. Nah. All I'm asking you to do is consider what the Scriptures show us today. Is that all right? Tell somebody I'm ready. Tell somebody else I'm ready. Tell somebody else I'm ready. All right. Now, remember you said it. Now, before we get started just so that we can clear the air in case anybody gets offended. Say this with me. I love Pastor Jose. You said it. We're good. All right? All right. So, as I said, we've been in this series entitled This Changes Everything. But the truth is this, that change can be challenging. Anybody agree with that? Right? Wave at me. Yeah, change can be challenging, right? It demands that we take action, that we make decisions that we've been putting off. And it ultimately requires us to let go of a place of comfort. And sometimes that place of comfort isn't comfortable at all, but it's all we know. But it requires us leaving that place of comfort for a place that is entirely unknown. Right? So change can be scary. But change does not have to be so challenging, especially when God is the one helping you to undergo it. And so as we've been learning over the last several weeks, God's word is full of instruction. And today we're going to dig into the topic of the secret place. Everybody go, ooh, ooh, secret, right? Stick with me on this. We're going to dig into this. We're going to end up looking at the words of Jesus in a few uh, to define it. But I'm reminded of a time many years ago where uh, it was my wife's birthday, I believe it was. And uh, we got together with some friends, and we ended up going down to the city. And it was, you know, it was like a real special thing. It was like a whole night out. So we went uh, to Morton's Steakhouse, right? You ever been to Morton's? I'm not advertising for them, by the way. Disclaimer, we are not advertising for Morton's. Good steak if that's what you eat, right? Uh, it, it, they, they really did it up. We get there. The menu said, happy birthday, Annette. They came up with the camera. We got it in the frame. It was all extra special. And then the plan was after we ate dinner, we were going to see a Broadway show. And so we went to see this show called Wicked, right? I was looking at you, some of you were just like, Sally, oh my God, Wicked, oh, it's so good, right? We went, to, we went to see Wicked, 
And so what had happened was that we get there, and we're in orchestra seats right in the front row, right? Great seats, great view and everything, and the show starts, and this brother right here went, like, like straight up loud, offensive, disrespectful. <laughs> like the, the actors were probably on the stage, and they're looking, and they're going. So I fell asleep, right, on my wife's birthday watching Wicked. That was a problem, by the way. I won't tell you that story. But anyway, I fall asleep. I wake up during uh, intermission, and I'm like, what, what, what happened? When is the show going to start? Right? And uh, I went back to sleep after intermission when it started again. Right? I, I just knocked out. So a, a year and some change later, my daughter's birthday comes. And my wife was raving about Wicked, so guess what we did for my daughter's birthday? We went to see Wicked again. And so we get there, and my, and, and my daughter was aware of how this all went down. And so she's like, you're not going to fall asleep, right? And I'm like, I'm, sweetheart, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm not going to fall asleep. And I'm like, Lord, help me, right? So we get there, and true to form, the show's starting, and I kind of start to, you know, get. <laughs> right? And then all of a sudden, you know, as I'm trying to fight this off, I kind of, get this weird vibe, and I'm like, am I seeing things? Because while the show's going on, I'm seeing all this movement, right, that looks like shadows in the background. I'm like, I must be bugging out. Something must have been in the food. So it woke me up, caught my attention, right? I thought there was like a robbery about to take place or something. And what ended up happening was that while I'm watching this, I realized that there was a set being constructed in the background while I'm watching this, right, they were creating an environment for what turned out to actually be a pretty good show, right? But the reason why I share this with you as we get started is because God also is a master of production. Listen closely to what I'm saying. He's the greatest at it. He works in secret in the unseen and facilitates the miraculous while no one takes notice. And many times, that no one is us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that God is a God who uh, um, works all things out for our good according to his purposes. And so, I don't know if you've ever considered this, but there is a good God that's present and at work in the lives of people, whether you believe in him or not. Whether you love him or not, whether you know him or not, whether you acknowledge him or not, God is good and he's working. And he's working for your good. God has great things for your life. Which leads me to where we're going to go today, that God works in secret. Let me show you what I'm talking about in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 17. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I want you to see something that before your mama and your mama's mama and your mama's mama's mama, 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 thought about any of us, or thought about your great-grandmother, or your grandmother, or your mother, or you, God thought about you. 
And God was at work. And I want you to consider something that the scriptures are revealing. That God created you. He saw you in the secret place. And he said, there's a good thing that I've created this person for. Now get this. For some of us, we attribute to God some of the calamities that we go through in life. That's inconsistent with his word. The truth is that for some of us, we make choices, right? You don't have to wave at me. Don't tell on yourself. And please don't nudge the person next to you, right? But God has a good purpose and good plans. And I want you to see that God does his best work in secret. And you know what that work is? It's you. It's you. It's you. God cares about you and thinks about you that much. You are a wonderful work, the scripture says. You are uniquely created. That's what the Bible talks about when it, when it says that you're fearfully made. It's not talking about being afraid. It's talking about care and intricacy, unique. And so God created you in such a way that's unique. There is a purpose and a master plan for your life that he set in motion before you even touched home base. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, how it puts it. It says, for we are his workmanship, his master work, a work of art. Created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand, taking paths which he set so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. As I said before, God's plans never included your problems. God's plans never included your loss. God's plans never included the things that you harbor as hurt. God's plan is always good. And see, this is where we need to get to in reconciling our thinking with the thinking of God. That God says, there is a beautiful plan that I want you to see. But isn't it true that for some of us, we focus on those other things? We draw conclusions about ourselves. We draw conclusions about the meaning of life. We draw conclusions about what our possibilities are. And we limit the hand of God. Sounds almost impossible. But here's the thing, that God is such a gentleman that he honors our choices, whether good or bad whether true or not. Psalm 91 verses 1 through 11 says this. I'm going to read it to you in the King James Version. You'll understand what I mean in a second. He that dwelleth, Old English, in the secret place of the Most High shall abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His, his truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. It shall not come near you. Only with thine eyes thou shalt behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. In other words, that's where you remain. That's where you stay. That's where you believe. That's what you choose to live by. He says, there shall no evil befall thee. 
neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. I want you to see something. God says, for he that dwells in the secret place. I want you to see something that God acts in secret. You ever do one of these? Oh, God, where are you? Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, why aren't you coming through? Right? You ever been, I, I, I'll tell on me. I've been there. And here's what we fail to realize. That we want to see God, bing, microwave. Show me, give me, tell me, lead me, show me, right? Me, 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 me. And the truth is this, that God is working. And what we fail to realize is in this secret place, in this place of intimacy, in this place of closeness and connection to God, that it's a place of covering, according to what we just read. It's a place of protection. It's a place of deliverance. It's a place of peace and miracles. It's a place where you win. Oftentimes, we fail to realize that God is acting on our behalf. And just because you don't see it doesn't mean you shouldn't believe it. In Mark chapter 4, verses 21 and 22, we read the words of Jesus where he says, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. I want you to see that everything that God does in secret is meant to be revealed openly. You might not see it. You might not feel it. You might might struggle to believe it. But God is working, and what he's doing in secret, he rewards unto you openly. God is a God who wants to show off his goodness and show you out for the world to know that there is a good God, that there's a powerful God, that there's a God that can redeem you and restore you and bring you back from every setback, everything you gave up on. God will restore it unto you many times over. God did not pay the ultimate price and place his spirit in you for the purpose of hiding his presence and his power. You are no small potato. You are no small fry. You are all that and then some. Add some soda and pizza to it too. Bag of chips and all that. But you see, God works in the unseen. And he acts even when you don't see it. But God wants to reveal the complete package that is in you, the person and the power of Christ. Listen, whether you believe in God or you don't, here's the good news. God is closer than you think. I don't believe that any of us are here by coincidence. I don't believe that any of us are here open and listening to the word of God by happenstance. I believe that God has a divine appointment. And maybe for some of us today, this is the day where you hear the word of God and something clicks. And you realize, man, God, you haven't even been looking at my mistakes. You're not even worried about how I'm dressed. If that's the case, you could kick me out, (laughs) right? But listen, God is working. It's called the secret place. It's a place of intimacy. We're going to get to the words of Jesus in a second, but I want to give you a quick Bible story. The Bible details the life of a great man named Elijah. This guy, Elijah, was in his day what you would call a prophet. Now, back in those days, God did not speak directly to his people. God would choose a man, he would anoint him, right? 
he would signify to all his people, this is the guy, this is the man that I'm going to use to speak to and speak through to you. And so Elijah was that guy. He was the man. He was in close intimacy with God. He understood who God was. He knew the voice of God. And thus he spoke to the people on God's behalf. And one day, this guy Elijah takes note of the fact that there's a in God, so to speak. All the people in this area are looking to a God named Baal. It's a pagan God. And it got, so, it got to such an extent that the people of Israel began to look at him. And the king, Ahab, the king over the people of Israel, this guy Ahab begins to serve Baal too. He marries this woman named Jezebel who was a worshiper of, of Baal. And so uh, it, it's getting pretty bad. So Elijah organizes a contest of sorts. Right? In this day and age, it would be like a social media blast. Everybody show up. Here's the time. Here's the day. Here's your invite. I'm, in, I'm calling out all the prophets of Baal, and I'm saying, come on out, and let's see whose God is real. If your God is real, or if the God of Israel is real. And so 450 prophets show up of Baal, right, this pagan God. They come out, and Elijah says, all right, here's the rules to what we're doing. You're going to build an altar, and I'm going to build an altar. You're going to prepare a sacrifice, and I'm going to prepare a sacrifice. And then what we're going to do is we're going to pray to our God. And whosoever God is true and real, he will be the one that will respond by raining down fire from the heavens and consuming the sacrifice, completely doing away with it. And so he goes, I'll let you guys go first. So the 450 prophets of Baal, they begin to pray, and nothing happens. And Elijah, this guy's a trip. He goes, hey, uh, maybe you want to pray a little bit louder. Maybe he's not around and he can't hear you. And so they begin to pray all the more louder. And then Elijah goes, hey, maybe he's asleep. Why don't you pray a li- even a little bit more louder? Maybe he, he, he's asleep. Maybe you got to wake him up. And so they, they begin to pray all the more louder and nothing happens. The Bible says that they get so frustrated, they get to a point, they start cutting themselves, doing all kind of weird stuff, right? And then Elijah says, all right, guys, my turn. Nothing happens. Elijah says, my turn, prepares the altar, places the sacrifice, and he prays. And, and, oh, but before he does that, he says, hey, guys, by the way, I got a great idea. Go get as much water as you want and pour it over all the wood in the sacrifice. Go get some more water. Get some extra water. Anybody got that water bottle? Yeah, throw that on there too. And then he prays, and fire rains down from heaven. And consumes the sacrifice completely. Not a lick of water is there. So all of a sudden, everybody's going, ooh, ah, ooh, the God of Israel is the true God. The one and only true God. And then Elijah gets real cocky and he goes, hey, grab all the prophets of Baal, kill them all. So there's a massacre. They kill them all. And you would think that after having such a great victory and see God come out in such a great way, that this guy would be confident in God. Let me tell you why I share that with you. Because the Bible says in 1 Kings that this woman Jezebel, who's married to the king Ahab, the queen, she sends a message to Elijah. She says, I promise you, I swear, 
that if it, but before the end of this day, I'm going to do worse to you than what you did to the prophets of Baal. And so you know what Elijah does? I'm going to tell you what song he wasn't singing in his mind. He wasn't saying, I'm going to see you victory. I'm going to see you. He wasn't, he wasn't there. No, he wasn't there. You know what he does? He hightails it, the Bible says. Mind you, this guy's got a direct connect to God. And all of a sudden, he's afraid by the threat of little itty bitty Jezebel. And so he takes off, and the Bible says that he runs for 40 days in the opposite direction where he was. And while he's running, there comes a point where he's so tired that he's about to pass out. He falls asleep. He wakes up, and God provided him a meal. Ravens came and brought him meat. God provided water. All this is provided for him. And then he gets up, and instead of going back, he runs further away. The Bible says that he ends up in a cave on a mountaintop. And when he's at this mountaintop in this cave, he has an encounter with God that reveals something and relates to what we're talking about today. Listen closely to 1 Kings chapter 19, verses uh, 9 through 18. It says, there he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I'm the only one left. And now they're going to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain. In the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. The Bible says, then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. I want to just point something out to you that's very important. Notice that Elijah did not come out the cave. He was in the cave when God initially spoke to him. And God had told him to come out. Remember that point. And so it says, when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and he went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites, they've rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars, and they're trying to kill me too. They put your prophets to death with the sword, and I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And go to the desert of Damascus, and when you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram, also anoint Jehu of son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elijah of Shaphat from Abel, Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazael. And Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. So get this. While Elijah was on the run from enemies, anxieties, fears, and even God's calling on his life, God was with him the entire way, wanting to bring him to a place of change and victory. 
And when God speaks to Elijah, Elijah responds from a place of great worry. Listen closely. He just slayed 450 men. And he's a, he just saw God respond to his prayer. And now he finds himself talking to God and watch his approach to God. I'm done for. Woe is me. You know what he's saying? Jezebel is stronger than you, God. My fear is greater than your power. My worries trump your promises. I want you to get a picture here. He believes that his problems are so big that he is the only one left in all Israel who's called by God and that he's going to die. He's talking to the same God who delivered him, who brought about a great victory. You know, if we're not careful, we can approach God that way too. You ever been there where you talk to God about your problems? Nothing wrong with that. You ever been there where you share your concerns with God, your worries, your anxieties? But our approach to God is almost as if, like, we're about to shut off the power in heaven because what we're going through is so hard. It's so big. Listen, I encourage you get a bigger view of God because we serve a big God who can do big things in the midst of small circumstances. So get this. God goes to a cave where Elijah is hiding. And watch what God says to him. Elijah, what are you doing here? What are you doing living in hiding? What are you doing overwhelmed with worries? What are you doing in this place where you're depressed and wanting to die? Where you're running from the place that I've called you. What are you doing here? And God says to him, come on out of this cave onto the mountaintop. Because that's where the cave was. It was at the top of the mountain. He says, come out to the mountaintop. I'm about to pass by. And what we immediately see is this, that Elijah stays in the cave. Now, how that relates to us on a very practical level. There's something that God has for each and every one of us. And he personally invites us to know his goodness, to know his purposes, to understand the power of what he's done in Christ, to see beyond what religion tells us, to see beyond what this world tells us, to explore a new life, one that brings change and new possibilities one that builds us and doesn't tear us down. One that affirms us and doesn't tear us apart. One that fulfills us instead of robbing us as many things in life. i got a question for you this morning. Have you been living in a cave? Don't answer that. But please be honest. We've got to be honest with ourselves. Because God has not created you to live in hiding. He has not created you to live in hiding. Let me prove it to you. The Bible says that God tells him to come up 
onto the mountaintop, out of the cave. Now, in my review of these, of these verses and everything, and, and you got to understand, I am like a Bible geek. It, it's like, it, it, it'll put you to sleep, right? But I like to dig in, and I got stuck on this word last night as I was reviewing my notes. It says that, Eli, that God called him out onto the mountain, and I had this question that just wouldn't leave me. What, what does that word mountain speak of? And so for me, I gotta, I, now I got to study it. Now I got to dig in. So I'm in there two, three hours, and I'm just looking at this word from all different angles and looking at how it's used in other verses, in other, ver- in other parts of the Bible. And what's interesting about this word mountain there, when God tells him, come up onto the mountain, it doesn't just, the Hebrew word does not just mean a mountain top. You know what it also means? The place of promotion. So get a picture of what's happening here. God says to him, Elijah, come up out of your cave where you're digressing, where you're beating yourself up, where you're looking down upon yourself, where you're negating my call, where you're losing sight of my purposes for your life. Come out of this cave and come out to this place of promotion. And I want you to see something, that Elijah stays in the cave and the Bible says that a strong wind comes by so strong that it begins to to damage some of the mountains around. It begins to split rocks. That's some strong wind. But the Bible says that God was not in it. Remember, God told them, come on out. I'm about to pass by. I'm about to speak to you. And so the wind blows and God's not in it. The earth begins to shake and quake and everything is kind of just trembling and God's not in it. The Bible says then a, a fierce a blaze, a fire erupts, it comes up out, and God's not in it. And then the scripture says this, that a gentle whisper, Elijah hears a gentle whisper, and get this, Elijah, knowing God, recognizes God speaking. You know why? Because God speaks to you. God is that close and personal that he comes and he whispers. He's always been that close. You matter that much to him. And so God speaks in a whisper because he's that close. That he speaks. Listen, listen closely. In the place where you are that aware of God, God says, That's the place of promotion. That's the place of change. With me. In my presence. Knowing my voice. Knowing my word. Knowing and understanding the wisdom that I'm giving you. Near to me. Ephesians 2, 4 and 6 says this about you. I don't know what view you got of yourself in life, but listen closely. If you call Jesus your Lord and Savior, or even if you don't, I got good news for you because this declares something that God wants you to know. He says in Ephesians 2, 4, it says, because of his great love for us. Tell somebody, that's me. Tell somebody else, God loves me. Yes, God does love you. Listen, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in in our transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved and God raised us up with Christ, watch this, and he seated us with him 
in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. You might have a very low perspective about yourself. You might see life like it's a struggle, like you can't, like you won't, like you don't know how you're going to make it out. But God says, baby, I want you to see where you're seated. You're right at my right hand. You're my child. You're my beloved. And my plans and purposes for you are true. And I am not a man that I should lie. It will come to pass. See, this secret place, this place of intimacy and connection and relationship with God, this secret place is a place of exaltation. You're not called to a life with God in a cave. You are called to the mountaintop. You're called to promotion where you enjoy God's presence and his power. But it comes by way of intimacy. Last few minutes that I have here as we wrap up, I want to point your attention to the instruction of Jesus as to how we're to experience life in this secret place, how it brings change. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 8, Jesus says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Get what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about people that play the part. It's just called religion. You know, when I was a kid in the church that I went to, right, the Marines, right, where it was, man, God was the hammer and you were the nail and he was a drill sergeant and it was just, you, you were told God loved you, but everything about it, everything else sucked. Every week we were going to the altar crying and asking God for mercy to forgive us. I was told I was going to hell for going to the movies, How could you believe that God loves you if every week you're being told, yeah, well, you went to the movies, well, you hung out with these people, you're going to hell. Well, you know what, sweetheart, you got makeup on, you're going to hell, right? That's the church I grew up in. And the thing is that we all thought we were the only ones going to heaven. But watch what Jesus says. He says, don't pray like these people because when they pray, I used to hear people and they would pray, you know, very eloquent. Oh, heavenly father. We come at your behest, and we prostrate ourselves before you, Father, and we worship you because you are worthy, and you are good, and you are lovely, and Father, we just exalt thee. And I used to go, man, they got a deep connection with God. Like, yo, like, that's, I want to do that. You know what Jesus says about that? He says, hypocrite. He says that person prays to be heard and to be seen by others. And watch what he says. He says, but that's okay. They get the reward. They're seen by people. They're just not seen by God. So he says, truly I tell you they have received their reward in full. Verse 6, but when you pray, somebody say that's me. Listen, when you pray, he says, go into your room. Close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. I want want to show you something here, that this secret place that we're talking about is a place of more than just the act of prayer. This is a place of intimacy with God. And according to the words of Jesus, it's a place where we come before God without pretenses. You know what that means? 
You don't have to act like anything. You don't have to try and measure up to whoever you're comparing yourself to. You don't have to be something extra special for God. You don't have to come and be all polished up and look the part and dress the part and talk the part and act the part but not live the part. Listen, he says, I'll meet you right there. Just, just come. Come as you are. Come and, 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 and come into my presence. And let me, let me teach you something. Let me talk to you. Let me show you something. Let me reveal some truth to you. And so there's three things that we see that make intimacy with God possible according to the words of Jesus. The first one is, he says, go into your room. By the way, this is not talking about a closet or your bathroom or where you go to pray when your kids are driving you crazy, right? That, it's none of that. It's none of that. It's not talking about that. This does not refer to going to a closet or a secret compartment that not even the FBI can find in your house. Listen closely to what it means in the Greek language. It's a storage chamber. It depicts a place that's filled with great treasure. It's a place of great value. Listen closely. It's a place of supply. Hmm. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But a relationship with God is the greatest treasure you could ever have. You know, for some of us, we work really hard at work just to be seen, just to be heard, just to be noticed. Fighting, struggling to get a promotion. Look, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That's a good thing. The Bible says that the man that doesn't work shouldn't eat. You do that. But hear what I'm saying. We take that same mindset and approach and believe that that's how we gain anything from God. And that is a lie. Listen closely to what the scriptures say. He says, go into your room. Let me translate that. Go to the place where I supply you great treasure. And watch where it is. It's with me, my presence. It's with me. So let me ask you a question. When you take time to connect with God, is this the view that you maintain of prayer and intimacy with him? Is it a place where you understand this is my supply? You know, I learned this many years ago when we started this church. Some of you know this. We started and we literally started with what appeared to be nothing. We left a mega church. We were youth pastors for many years, and, but we had a heart for this city. We had a heart for this region. We had a heart for people, and we just knew that we knew that we knew that God had called us here. And then we finally took a jump, and when I say jump, we literally jumped. Like, there was no check coming in, right? There was no, there was no backing to launch, right? There was no plan that we had to follow. All I knew was this, God, you said, and God, I believe what you said. But there came a point when we first started that, you know, and after a few conversations with some people that 
there was this thought in my, the back of my head that was like, how are we going to do this? God, I got a mortgage. God, I got children. God, they're in college. God, I've got cars. God, I've got a home. God, I've got a dog. Right? All this stuff is important, God. Like, how's this going to work? I, I get it. We're starting a church, but it's like, who's going to show up for the first service? Twelve people show up. But get this. The day after we took that leap, January 1st, 2014, I'm talking to God and I'm, I'm saying, God, you know, I believe you, but I'm not seeing some things here. How's this going to work? And I happened to be reading the word that morning and I was reading about the life of a guy named Abraham in the book of Genesis. And I, as I'm talking to the Lord later on, I'm reminded of the words that God spoke to Abraham. You see, Abraham had had a great victory, and he had a lot of spoil. You know, he took a lot from that, from that battle. He had a lot. And when he gets back to, to his hometown and, you know, he's coming back with his people and the people of another king, the other king says to him, hey, you take everything, all this treasure, all these goods, and just give me my people. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm not taking any of this lest you say that you're the one who increased me. Genesis 15, 1 says this, that God says to him, Abraham, do not be afraid. What does that tell us? Abraham was worried. I just let all these goods go. And the Bible says that God says to him, Abraham, do not be afraid. I am your exceedingly great reward. It brings me to tears, man, because I remember that moment like it's happening right now. And you know what I learned that morning in God's presence? I'm here talking to God and saying, God, how's this going to work? And God reminds me of those words. And I understood this. God, I have everything with you. All I need is you. Listen, you don't know what faith is until all you can do is trust and believe God at his word. And let me tell you something. I was here cowering in in a cave. And God says, I created you to be on a mountaintop, to be seen, because in my presence is your place of promotion. With me, you are successful. You can do all things. It doesn't have to make sense. Trust me. I make sense of all things. I make a way where there is no way. I make a way where everybody else says there can't be a way. I'm your mountain mover. into your place of supply. Go into your place where you discover treasure with God. Jesus says, when you pray, close the door. Again, he's not talking about a room where there's a door. 
But here's what's interesting. If you look at this word door in the Greek, how it's used in various, uh, in various verses, what you'll see is that it's referring to something so much more than a physical door. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the door. If any man enter by me, he'll be a part of the fold. In Revelation 3.20, he says, here I stand at the door and I knock. And he who opens the door unto me, I'll dine with him and he with me. Get this. This door literally speaks of the door of the kingdom of God in your life. And listen closely to what it's talking about. It's the place where only God can access. And he says, and when you come into my presence, close that door. But watch why he says, close that door. Because it's only meant for you and him. And oftentimes, you ever done this? Because I have. Start praying, oh, Holy Father, I come at your behest. You ever go to God, right, and you mean to talk to him, and all of a sudden, like, you're like thinking about that plane ticket, and how are you going to get to Aruba, right? Bills are coming up, right? You start thinking about your spouse. You start thinking about your past. You start thinking about work and everything you got to do, and all of a sudden, you find yourself somewhere way, 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 way out there. Jesus says, close the door that I've placed in your heart to the kingdom of God. Don't allow anything else in this room but you and me. Listen to what God says. I just want you and me. Just you and me. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He says, enter through the narrow gate. That word gate there is the same Greek word. It's talking about the door of the kingdom in your life. He says, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I want you to see something here. Jesus says, come through the narrow gate. Let me tell you why. Because in the wide one, here's how it works. This is my buddy Matthew. You coming with me. It's you, me, and God, right? Then I grab my buddy Maurice. And I'm like, Maurice, it's you and me. And then I grab my money, right? And it's, it's us, right? And then I go ahead and grab my other friend, right? Because you, 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 you know, you, you showing me everything that's good about life, right? And all this. And we, and we try to bring all this stuff with God. See, there's room in the wide gate for everything. But watch this. In the narrow gate... It's just you and God. And the only thing you can do is walk behind him and follow his lead. Thank you. You can't lead an overcrowded life where your devotion is split among many things and try to fit them in with God. It's a disaster waiting to happen. But the narrow gate is only room for you and him. So he says, close that door to everything else. Just take time with me. Talk to me. Get to know me. And see the great and precious promises that I've laid out for you. 
Discover how much you mean to me. Discover the great supply that I am to you. Discover who you truly are. Not what you've been told, not what you've been conditioned to. Just you and me. Know me. The last point that Jesus says is, he says, and when you pray, listen closely because this is life changing. He says, pray to your father. Now I get it. In circles of faith today, you know, that, that, that's cliche, that term. Pray, pray to your father. Right? For some of us, we hear pray to God the Father. For others, we hear pray to the Godfather. Like God goes, what are you talking about? Like he's going to like whack you, right? But you got to understand something that when Jesus say, says this, this was earth shattering. This was like uncommon. You see, in the Jewish culture, according to their belief, they believed that God was so holy and they were no good that they couldn't even mention his name. They wouldn't pronounce it. And even more than that, they could not wrap their head and hearts around this, that God was their father and that they were his children. A portion of scripture, they get into an argument with Jesus and they say, we're, we're of our father Abraham. Jesus says, if Abraham was your father, then you would know who I am because he testified about me. And so get this, in those days, to declare that God was your father was blasphemy. You would be killed for that. Thus, it's the reason why they crucified Jesus. Because he dared to say he was the son of God. And that God was his father. So get this. Jesus says, pray to your father. He was declaring the magnitude of God's love for us and his acceptance of all people as his own. Listen, God is not just your God. God is not just the central focus of your worship. He's not just your source of provision. The greatest revelation that you and I can never get is that God calls himself your father and he declares that you are his child. That you belong, that you are his, and that no height, no depth, no width, no length, nothing can separate you from his great love. As we close here today and we stand, I leave you with one more portion of scripture. The book of Romans 8, 14 through 17 says this, for all who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God, watch this, are sons of God. Get this picture. God's precious Holy Spirit, the one who's calling you, the one who's prompting you, the one who's leading you, the one who woke you up and told you, today's the day. Watch what he's leading you towards. You're my child. I didn't say it. Read the verse yourself. For all who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Listen closely. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading again to fear of God's judgment. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. The spirit producing sonship by which we joyfully cry, Abba, Father. That just means, that's just a term of endearment. 
The Spirit himself, get this, testifies. And he confirms. So watch this. Oh, God, but you don't understand my stinking thinking. You're my child. Oh, God, but, but what about all the things that I've done? But you're my child. But God, what about all the things that I'm planning to do? But you're my child. But God, I don't feel like if I'm right in your eyes, you're my child. But God, I'm struggling with these issues, but you're my child. But God, I'm depressed. I'm stressed. I'm struggling. I'm drowning in life, but you're my child. God is calling you to take on your identity. You are a child of God, and he is your father. And that's all that matters. Listen to verse 17 because this is the pinnacle of the secret place. It says, and if we are his children, then we are his heirs also. Now watch what that means. An heir is one who is an an inheritor of all that belongs to their father. He says, And if we are his children, then we are his heirs also and heirs of God. Watch this. And fellow heirs with Christ, sharing his spiritual blessing and inheritance. Do not miss this point. Let's leave that verse up. Everything that belongs to Jesus, his relationship, his blessing, his righteousness, his justice, his peace with God, everything that belongs to Jesus is yours right now. Listen closely. Just as Jesus has right standing with the Father and is the Son of God, God says, so you are also. There's an inheritance that's yours. Jesus paid too high a price for you to hide in a cave. Elijah. What are you doing here? Come out to the place of promotion. Come out to the mountaintop. What part don't you understand that I've declared that you are the head and you are not the tail? Why don't you believe yet that I have called you to be above only and never beneath? You're my child. I love you. Listen, the secret place where it's just you and God, not religion, not behavior modification, not even you trying to change yourself. God, you can't. I can't. You ever tried to change yourself? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I'll prove it to you. How many of you have been on a diet? Just die to that. You don't need it. Listen. In this place where it's you and God. That's the place where everything changes. It's the highest point in life. It's God. Father, today we come to you in the precious and mighty name of Jesus. Come on all over this place, man. If God's speaking to you, go ahead and talk to God right there where you are. You don't need me to talk to God for you. You want to worship God right now? You want to raise your hands? You do whatever you got to do. But listen, just take a moment right now to say, God, I'm here with you now. Come out of that cave. Because you were not created to live in hiding.
You are the light of the world. You are a lamp that is meant to be put on a stand. He paid too high a price for you to try and dim your light. You can't. So, Father, here we are. And, Lord, we acknowledge your presence and we acknowledge your voice and we acknowledge the truth in your word. Lord, we declare right now that you are our great reward, that you are the only thing that we depend on. God, that we need you. God, that we're looking to you. God, that your wisdom is better than our wisdom, that your ways are better than our ways, that your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God, we look to you today. Right here, right now, in this place of secret with you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for seeking us out. It's very possible that there's someone here today, or maybe you're watching online, joining us online. And this is all foreign. This is all different. But you've never considered the the truth that God desires you. And that all he wants to do is reward you. To increase you. To pour blessing upon you and see that flow and see you increase. That you're that valuable to him. But today you find yourself believing something different. You find yourself saying, God, I want you. Here's the first thing you need to know. The only thing you need to know right now is this, that God so loved you that he gave his one and only son to die for the entire world. That if you believe in what he accomplished, you'll be saved. You'll come out of darkness. You'll experience life change. But what exactly did Jesus do? Get what Jesus did. He looked upon humanity and he saw sin. Not actions. He saw a nature that did not want God, had no room for it. And he saw the error of our ways and he said, none of them is able to pay this price and make it right. So here's my choice. I'm going to become like them and I'm going to die the death that's theirs to pay this price. And here's what happens as a result of that. The pressure's off you. Now it's just you and God. You're free. If you believe that with us today, or maybe, hey, you started off on this walk with God and you've just been doing your own thing. It's okay. Not okay to be there. Not okay to stay there. But it's okay to be here right now and say, God, I need you. So pray this with us. Let's pray this together in confidence. Say, Jesus, I believe. You are the Son of God. I believe you died and you rose again. I believe you paid the price for me. Because you love me. And so from this day forward, I declare that you are my Lord. That you are my Savior. That you are my God. No longer will I live in a cave. Father, I'm in your presence, and I'm in the place of promotion. Come on, if you believe that, we're celebrating life change, restoration, redemption. Come on, now there's life change here. God is doing amazing things. Now, Father, we thank you for all that you've done, all that you've accomplished in Jesus Christ. We say thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. We'll see you again next Sunday. Hey friends and family, thanks again so much for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. We pray that God spoke to you directly through this message. And if he did, we want to know. 
send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. You can even give us a call at the office to let us know how God spoke to you. Don't forget to also share this message with a friend, a co-worker. Share it on your social media stories. You never know who in your life may be blessed by this word. Thank you again for checking out our weekly sermon podcast, and we'll see you next week.